Thank you for listening to audio from Gospel Community Church in Eugene, Oregon. For more information about our church or our Sunday services, please visit gccugene.org. Good morning, welcome. It got quite quick. Good, good morning, welcome. My name is Rick. My position here at GCC is the preaching pastor, and so I've been away for a few weeks on a sabbatical. Excited to be back to preach the word this morning. We're doing a little break. We've been in uh, the book of Judges uh, through a series titled, Trust Me, I Know I'm Right. And we're taking a break from that, and we've been doing, this will be our fourth week on a rest series. The, the reason why we're doing a rest series is honestly just from hearing, or hearing just from a lot of people basically stating, we seem tired, we seem restless, and all that. So we're like, hey, let's do a series on rest. So four weeks. Typically what we do, if you're new here, is we preach through a book of the Bible. As Jason said last week, that, that, that keeps us from avoiding difficult passages, and we preach all the way through the Bible, showing the Bible is one collective story made up of 66 books that preaches one message, that there's one hero named Jesus Christ who came to save and redeem the world through his righteousness, through his perfection, and through his blood. And so that's what we aim for. That's what we preach. Today, we're going to be in the book of Matthew. We're going to be in Matthew 11. We're going to be in Matthew 11, 28. Why that's funny is Ronnie just preached on it two weeks ago. There's a little bit of confusion on my part. Normally, if there's a, a failure in communication, that normally comes through me. And so uh, I thought he was going to be after that, um, but we're going, to, we're going to do it. And here's the truth. This passage has been preached probably thousands of times by different preachers. And so each preacher can preach the same passage. And, and uh, he gave great context for it a couple weeks ago. So if you want more of the context from that, I would go back and listen to it. He did a great job there. So Matthew 11 is where we're going to be at this morning. Next week, we're going to do a, a, a Q&A. So here, here, there's a number that's going to be up on the screen for you guys. You can start texting in your questions now. We invite all questions, any questions, anything you want to bring. And there's going to be a couple of us up here next week that are tackling those questions. So that's what we're going to do next week. It'll be a very short sermon. Then we're going to do some Q&A. And so it's 4th of July. And we hope that some of you guys will make it out and, and make it here for that. Also, just a great opportunity. If you have non-Christian friends, friends that are atheists, agnostic, anything like that, bring them. And, and if, we're, if we run through the questions and we want to do a live Q&A, then we'll do that as well. And so that's going to be next week. So this morning, Matthew 11, 28 through 30, that's where we're going to be at. We read and preach from the word of God because we believe that it is the authority over our lives. It's also the foundation that we stand upon. So we're going to be Matthew 11, and the main point this morning is the food our souls need is faith. The food our souls need for rest is faith, okay? We'll see it's not going to be faith in ourselves, faith in practices like yoga, meditation, stuff like that, but it's ultimately going to be, spoiler alert, faith in Christ and faith in the gospel. So with that, let's, let's read the passage, and then we're going to pray. Matthew 11, 28. This is Jesus speaking. He says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Father, first we declare our need for you, and not in some superficial way, God. Every breath we have is a gift. And so we thank you for today, we thank you that we can gather. We thank you for community. We thank you that we can come and sit and hear your word preached. We thank you for your word. You're a God who speaks. You're a God who has spoken. God, speak to us this morning. I pray for those in the room that are hurting, for those that are listening online that are hurting and just need to be encouraged by your word and by the gospel that you would do that for the power of your spirit. 
We pray in a restless world, in a restless society, God, you would give us rest. Teach us about rest. Teach us through your spirit this morning. Teach us through your word. Ultimately, God, awaken hearts and remind hearts of the good news of the gospel this morning. Father, we pray for uh, Hunter's dad as he's recovering from surgery. We pray you would give him a speedy recovery. We pray you would give them peace in this time and this season. We pray for our brother Paul, um, who's battling uh, COVID right now, that you would give him rest. And, and uh, God, uh, sometimes you, through your sovereignty, allow times like this in our lives to give us rest. And so um, we, we pray that he's resting well. Um, God, we pray that you would give him as well a speedy recovery. We thank you for the moms. We thank you for the children. Um, we thank you for the dads. We thank you for those that are here right now. And we pray that you would, from the youngest of ages, start saving our children, God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And jump right in. I'm going to tell you guys what I'm about to do is, is read quickly. I'm already a fast talker, but it's going to be purposeful, okay? And, and it's going to be a little bit rough, but it's going to be on purpose, okay? So there's, there's this book by David Murray called Reset. Highly, highly, highly recommend it. This is it. A lot of what I'm getting ready to, uh, to read right now is actually from David Murray, and uh, some of it I've added, because this was written pre-pandemic, and so I've added to what he has stated. I would recommend this. There's a men's and a, and a women's version of this. Uh, and, and again, just so I'm not plagiarizing, a, a lot of what I'm getting ready to read is from him. He talks about an inner orchestra that's constantly going inside of our souls. But also there's an external orchestra of stuff going on inside the world. And this orchestra is loud. And so that's what he's doing is he's painting this picture of just this noise and symbols and everything that's going on inside of us. So I'm going to read what he says and what's been added to it. So here we go. There's going to be some music going as well. He says this. First, there's the den of guilt, the shame and embarrassment of our dark moral secrets, thoughts of I should have or I shouldn't have, and these clang noisily in deep recesses, shattering our peace. Then the greed starts banging away in our hearts with its relentless drumstick. I want it, I need it, I must have it, and so on, and so on, and so on. And what's that angry metal beat? It's the hate stirring up malice, ill will, resentment, and revenge. How could she? I'll get him, she will pay for this. Vanity also adds its proud and haughty thud, drowning out all who compete with our beauty, our talents, our status. Me up, him down, me up, her down, me up, all down. Anxiety goes in the background, rapidly surveying the past, the present, and the future of things to worry about. What if, what if, what if? That little silver triangle of self-pity I hear. Why me, why me, why me? The repetitive and unstoppable jangle of expectation comes from all directions. Family members, friends, employers, church, and especially ourselves. And smashing into our lives wherever we turn are the giant symbols of media and technology, local, international, paper and pixels, sound and image, audio and video, beep and tweet, notifications and reminders, and, and, and on and on it goes. Not to mention the fast-paced techno of changes with the pandemic and everything around it. The sounds of frustration, being tired, and trying to constantly keep up and adapt to the changes in people's opinions. Then we have the screamo music blaring, learning how to homeschool children, learning how to educate as an educator online. All the while, kids' demands never stops, and the demands of our employers and peoples don't seem to slow down but increase. Now we mix in the fast-paced classical of the elections, the division in the world, the animosity around COVID, masks, vaccines, and not to mention a good chunk of Oregon on fire, and all the division around how to approach the subject of race and racial reconciliation. Then you add the final notes of constant demand to respond back to every email, phone call, and text message, or else people will be upset, and you can see why some might need rest. And the truth is, if it creates angst in you, and then you're said rest, 
Maybe we know why we're struggling with it as a society. These, this is just a few of the things that is going on inside of us and that is going on in and around the world. If that stirred up something, it's like, my gosh, make it stop. The silence is the best noise you've heard since I've started talking. And then we say rest. How do we rest? Why have I heard so much from so many people that so many people in, in our church are just exhausted and, and, and the constant uh, theme that I hear the consensus is people are just burnt out. Here's why. This is what's going on. And then we say rest, but here's the truth. Rest is about an internal state of the soul, not just external actions or things you do. Rest, rest, and what we're gonna look at today is the food that our soul needs. You hear Jesus say, I'm the bread of life, and he confuses disciples, which I love. He's like, okay, to do that. They're like, did, did someone feed him? This is literally what they're asking him. And he's like, I have bread that you're unaware of. He calls himself the living water because he's talking about these things that actually our souls need. And we see this, Psalm 23, many scholars agree that this is probably and most likely David's last psalm. We see his maturity. He's like, as I walk through the valley of the shadow of death and, and, and enemies are around me, he goes, I sit at a table and I dine with the Lord. He's recognizing nothing about his external circumstances screams rest and inner peace, but he has something inside of him to know that the Lord, his God is with him, shepherding him soul. That, that's Psalm 23. So rest is, I'm going to make it so simple, rest and true rest comes by belief, by trust. The reason we don't rest is because we don't trust God. We don't trust his command that it's good. We don't trust that we can stop, as Ronnie said, we think we're too important. We don't trust because we have anxieties that, that whatever we're doing is going to keep the world going. We don't rest because we think it's lazy or apathetic. All these things can be rooted into our trust and belief about God. We don't trust God. We don't believe him. We don't have faith in him. And so what we're saying is the food that our souls need, the, the, the nourishment. If you went to the store during the pandemic, you will notice the candy aisle was stocked and all the meat was gone. People know what you need to survive. And what our souls need to survive is nourishing food for our souls. That food is faith, and it's not faith in external circumstances. And here's what I mean. Give you guys an example. Our family went camping this week. So we've been on sabbatical, went camping, okay? Day, day one of camping. It's a restful trip, okay? We get set up. I hit my head on the awning like twice, trying to get everything set up. I'm angry, okay? Restful. And, and then we go down to, to the water's edge, and, and, and it's just like a bit, it's like mayhem down there, okay? Before you know it, our oldest daughter's being sprayed in the face by some other kid. So I go out there in the water, tell him not to do that. She swims away. He proceeds to tell me that his friends call him Tolly. I'm like, I'm, I have a, I'm standing off to a 10-year-old right now. I'm like, I don't care if your friends call you 50 Cent or Little Wayne or whatever. I'm like, I'm going to break your water gun and throw it in the lake. I'm like, what is going on? And, and, and so, so that's where we're standing. And I'm like, okay, okay, we're good. She's got a headache now, okay? And, and so there's no store... Uh, like, like actual store around. There's just a, like a little thing at this Loon Lake market or whatever. So I go in there, there's infants and then there's adult um, ibuprofen. She can't swallow pills. The infant's not gonna do the trick. And so what do I do? I go back to our RV and I get out a spoon, like a scene from Breaking Bad, and I'm mixing the two over a heated stove. And, and I'm, 
I wish I was kidding, and I'm making it, I'm blending it so I can give her a little stronger concoction of this, okay? Rest, this is rest, this is, we're, we're resting. And then, what are we having? Steak for dinner. Hey, Joey, can, can I cut that up for you? I like my steaks big because I got a big mouth. Okay, have it your way. She's choking. I mean, full-blown chokes. My wife does like 12 Heimlich maneuvers to her to try to get it out. I mean, it is like people are screaming in the campground, like there's no service. <laughs> Day one. <laughs> Good thing is we got three more to go. Restful, right? But here's, here's why I say it is more about an internal state, is when we think rest, we think advice. And this is what our secular world does. We go rest, and then we go, here's some advice, even a sabbatical. A sabbatical does you no good if your soul is still not at rest. You can pull stuff off your plate, you can take vacations, you can do stuff externally, come back and be just as exhausted, if not more. Why? Because there's a soul issue going on. And that's what we have to look at. Rest is about something deep inside of us, faith, trust, and belief. Not advice, advice is not what we need ultimately. It's not bad, but it's what the world gives. What we need, and that's what we're gonna start with this morning, is we need good news what Jason was talking about last week, good news. You see, the world comes in and says, here's advice. Have you tried breathing habits? Have you tried meditation? Have you tried yoga? Have you tried some of these things? Where Christians start is different. We say, are, are, are you familiar with good news? When I give you good advice, the burden is on you. You have to do something. When I offer you good news, you either accept it or reject it. It's about a past event that happened many years ago for Christians 2,000 years ago, and we stake our life on this event of the perfect life, obedience, death on the cross, substitutionary atonement, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We say, that's the news. That's it. You either accept it or you reject it, but you can't do anything about it. The burden is not on you. That's good news. I like how Dr. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones explains it, explains it really well. He says this, imagine that a king goes into battle to defend his kingdom against an invading army. If he wins the battle, he'll send messengers back to his people with the good news of his victory. These messengers would announce, the enemy's been defeated, the battle is won. Go, enjoy the peace the king has obtained for you. But what if the invading army breaks through the king's defenses? Then the king wouldn't send back messengers with good news. Instead, he'd send a message of advice saying, arm yourselves, reinforce the ramparts, get ready to fight for your lives. You see the difference? It's not a quibbling of words. It's actually <laughs> so important. Advice is go and do this. News is Christ has done this. Christianity is not go do. Christianity is Christ has done all. And then we put our faith and trust in that. And he does everything for us to be, to, to, to be reconciled to God. The only place and the only relationship we're actually going to have true peace and true rest is when we're reconciled in the arms of our creator who we were meant to be in relationship for. And so that's where we start. Not with this advice. Not, not, not with pragmatics. Not with practical steps. People love that stuff. Then we can boast in it. Uh-uh. Not with the cross. Not with the gospel. Not with the good news. We look at it and say, he did it all. And when we start to understand that, and that message gets beyond our heads and into the depths of our souls, and it is the food of faith in that good news that gives us actual rest and peace in the midst of turbulence, in the midst of animosity, in the midst of division, in the midst of so much going on, that's where we start. Christians have good news. Verse 28, look here. Come, let's stop. Like, man, we're never getting through this. Come to me. Jesus' first words are come. Jesus doesn't say this. He doesn't say, 
get your act together, go and get yourself cleaned up, do these 10 things, do this. I grew up hearing, boy, you need to get your business right with the Lord, which meant you basically need to go get cleaned up or you, you need to get your act together. These are all things that I need to go and do. Jesus' first words, um, or, or, or where we're starting off today, is what Jesus is saying is, come, come to me. It's not, go and do this, go and clean yourself up. I think that's why David was a man after God's own heart, because David knew that he could go to God angry, sad, in any state of mind, wherever he was at, and he could talk to God about it. So God's invitation is, come, come to me. Look, what, what is the qualification? All who labor and are heavy laden. Heavy laden is not a word that we commonly use, so it's burnt out, exhausted. Come to me. So your prerequisite to come to Jesus is that the only thing you have to give is a wrung out, burnt out, depleted, exhausted body to collapse in his arms. Come to me. That's what Christ says. Come to me, all who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. He makes a promise. Let me ask you this. What do you come to? What do you go to for rest? Do you go to Netflix? Do you go to the bottle? Do you go to cannabis? Do you go to every external measure? Even like, I, I'm not saying camping is a bad thing, but, but, but are these our first things that we're trying to go to to try to give our sense of, a sense of peace? Where do you go? Do you run to a friend? Do you run to a spouse? Do you run to a sibling? Where do you go? Because Jesus is saying, he gives, listen, God in the flesh gives a promise. When you come to me, I will give you rest. That's what, that's what God in the flesh, the infinite creator of everything says, come to me, burnout, exhausted. When you got nothing to give, you can collapse in my arms. You know what that is? That's surrender. The picture of the gospel, it's tapping out. It's, I've got nothing for you. And he's like, exactly. Jesus came for the broken. He came for those that are sick. He, 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 he came for those that need a doctor. He says, come. Many times right now in our society, we're running and we're going to everything, but we're not just coming to Jesus first. And that's what he says. Come to me and I will give you rest. So as we think about the food that our souls need is faith. The, the, the other key ingredients of the recipe are that we need to come to Jesus. Here's the problem. You're not going to go to Jesus if you feel guilty. And if you believe you are guilty. And here's, here's, here, here's the truth. Everyone is born an enemy of God. Guilty of our own sin. And so a guilty party, you know this as a parent, when your kids are guilty, you can see it a mile away. Like they don't run to you. Like they creep around and they do weird stuff. And you're like, what, 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 what are you doing? Like, it's because they're guilty. Same thing, we're not gonna run into Jesus. We're not going to come and just come fast if we know we're guilty, which is why I, I wanna merge this verse with Romans 8. One, which says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Here in this room, listening today, you are in one of two places positionally. You're either in Christ or you're out of Christ. No middle ground. If you've placed your faith and trust in all that Jesus has done, you are in Christ, which means this. Read the text. There is now no, zero, zilch, absolutely none, condemnation, which means guilt. There is now none, zero, 
any at all guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. That means any charge the enemy can bring against you, Jesus declares, I've paid for that. That's what justification is. It is a legal declaration that Jesus takes all that is his, his perfect life of obedience, of guiltlessness, of innocence, and says it legally belongs to you. God says what's, what's his is now yours, what's yours is now his. The enemy can come in and say, you're guilty. Those are your words, but I'm going to go with God's word. And his word says, there is no condemnation for those that are in Jesus. The enemy can come in and say, you're pitiful. And you can say, I actually am. But he was found to be guilty and pitiful on the cross. And I was found to be guiltless and righteous in him. So God gave me his. And now there is no guilt and no condemnation. Anything that you could bring forth, the enemy can bring forth. Jesus declares from on high, I've paid for that. It's done. In the highest courtroom, in the highest authority, God says there is no condemnation, no guilt at all for those who have trusted in my son, period. Then, because of that, we come. We come anytime. We come at all times. And we come. We come running because there's no guilt. There's no condemnation. Christ took care of it. So when he says come, come as you are. For those who have trusted, come, come running in. In your worst moment, in your best moment, whatever it is, it is about what Christ has done. So we come. Look at what he says next. Take. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. We're tired. So there is something I got to do. So, so first, we need the good news, not good advice. Then, then, then we come to Jesus, and now we take my yoke upon you? Oh, no. Take, take a yoke? What does that mean? Is that the straw that's going to break the camel's back? That might sound exhausting. I love, if you have not read it, I can't encourage you guys enough. Before this book, read Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. Read Gentle and Lowly. It is, it is one of the best books I've ever read. I can't encourage it enough. For the brokenhearted, read that book. But I like what Dane Ortland says here talking about the yoke. It'll pop up on the screen for you. He says this, a yoke is the heavy crossbar laid on oxen to force them to drag farming equipment through the field. Jesus is using a kind of irony saying that the yoke laid on his disciples is a non-yoke. For it is a yoke of kindness. Who could resist this? It's like telling a drowning man that he must put on the burden of a life preserver only to hear him shout back sputtering, no way, not me. This is hard enough drowning here in these stormy waters. The last thing I need is the added burden of a life preserver around my body. What helium does to a balloon, Jesus's yoke does to his followers. We are buoyed along in life by his endless gentleness and supremely accessible lowliness. What is Jesus saying to take? He's saying to take a few things. He's saying, take my yoke upon you. You will either bear the yoke of trying to to live up to God's standard and laws. Galatians 3.10 says you'll be cursed under that. Or you live under Christ's yoke. What you take is you take the work of Christ. You take his work upon you and, and, and it's your work that was done by him. That's what you take. This is This is freeing. <laughs> This is really freeing. This is really good news that what we take is we take his work. Right now, the trials are going on, right? And so you can only imagine if two runners lined up, one could say, the only thing that I have going for me in this life is winning this race. And the other one could say, no, 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 no. I have the one who ran the race perfectly for me. Who's going to be able to run longer and last longer? The second, because we take his work and God delights to look at the work of Christ imputed to us and say, yes. 
He rejoices over that. He's also saying, take my identity. Right now, everyone in this room is finding an identity in something. It is not a good thing as a pastor to find your identity in being a pastor. My friend who uh, pastors a church down in Reno, when he took over the leadership of the church, they lost 500 people. People come, people go, people say mean things. It's difficult. My identity at its core that I get to take from Jesus is being a son. Your identity that you get to take is being a prince or princess of the King Jesus or a son or daughter of the living God. That's what you get to take. And that's what defines you. Every moment of every day, not being a mom, not being a dad, not being a husband, not being a wife, not being all these things. Those things will exhaust you. They will exhaust you because you will fail constantly. You cannot fail at being a son or a daughter of the living God because it was made secure 2,000 years ago for you in Christ's work. It's done. But do you know what also Jesus is saying that we take? We take his yoke. We take his love. Think about this with me for a minute. How many trees are in the world? I mean, in Oregon, but how many are in the world? A lot. How many leaves are on the trees in the world? A lot. You can calculate that number, though. You could. It could be a sum. How many books are in the world? How many pages in the books? And how many words? That's a massive number, but you could still come up with a sum. You could calculate it and get a sum. How much is God's love for his son, Jesus? There's been only, and I heard a pastor say this recently, there's been only one theologian in all history that has been able to answer that question, and his name is Buzz Lightyear, to infinity and beyond. It's, you can't calculate it. It's infinite. But, but, but listen to the word of God, and listen to what it says. In John 15, 9, he says this. Just as the Father has loved me, Jesus speaking, so have I loved you. Think about that. Trees, books, pages, leaves, a big, massive number, but not infinite. Jesus says, just as the Father's loved you without measure to infinity and beyond, without limits, so have I loved you. Take that. That's the invitation. Come to me as you are, burn out, wrung out, exhausted, and then take my yoke, my works, my identity, my righteousness, all that I've completed. Take that. It's yours. That's what Jesus is saying. And, and, and look at what he says here. He says, and learn from me. Let me teach you. Now, as Dane Orland also says, the veil gets pulled back and you get to see the heart of God made manifest in a man named Jesus Christ, who's fully God, fully man. And this is what he says. I'm gentle and humble. I'm gentle and lowly. I'm kind, I'm compassionate, I'm caring. That's the heart of God. That is the heart of God, that he says, take my yoke, take, take, take my work, take my identity, take my love, and then learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You know, there is no one else who can be betrayed as much as Jesus, and he'll still run after you. You don't have a friend like that, I guarantee you. You betray a friend enough, they'll run from you. Jesus is gentle, lowly compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And you know who his heart is always for that we see in the Gospels? The broken, the hurting, the outcast. 
you know what it would take to separate you from his love? Paul gives us an answer in Romans 8. He's like, neither height nor death nor angels nor rulers nor anything in all of creation could ever separate you from the love of God. He even goes on to say the church in Ephesus, he's like, hey, what I pray for you is that you would have the power to understand the love of God, which surpasses knowledge. Many times we don't run to Jesus because we think that Jesus thinks we're pitiful, shameful, or he's grossed out by us. When we were camping, traumatic, we'll get there. There was these kids, these other kids, and they were fishing. They had no parents around, and they, would, they were scared to death of the fish, so they kept catching fish, and then they would like hold the fish out of the water and flap the fish. They were like kicking the fish and like, I was losing it. So was my wife. I'm like, and, and I go to the boy. I'm like, okay. I'm like, you, hey. Uh, he's like, I got to take it to the campground and show my buddy. I'm like, no. <laughs> fish stays in the water. You go to the campground. You can bring your buddy here. And I was like, do you know why? And he was like, because it's a living creature. I was like, yeah, because God gave them to us to steward, to take care of. Okay, this is discipleship. I don't feel like I should be having to do this. And it's flopping on the ground. He, and all he does every time he catches a fish, which was like every, like, it felt like a minute. Allie, was it, it was like nonstop. As he's screaming for someone to come get the fish on the line, he would just go near it and he would like back away and like run from it. Like it was gross. I'm like, why are you fishing? I say all this to say sad, sad. This is sad. But many times we think Jesus has that same approach to us. That, that we're gross that he can't deal with our yuckiness, our sin, whatever it is, though he came and paid the price in full so that there is no guilt for those that are in him. That's the heart of Christ. That is the heart of Christ that he's saying, come to me, take my yoke. I'm gentle, I'm lowly. And what does he say? Look at the end of the verse. He makes this, and you will find rest. Where? For your soul. That inward rest in the depths of your soul, Christ is like, that's where you will find it. The, the, the food that we need is faith. Faith in the good news. Faith that we can go to Christ wherever we're at. Faith that we can take his yoke, his works, his identity, his love. In any state we can go. That's the recipe. He goes on to say in verse 30, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He doesn't say this world is easy doesn't say this world is light. And let me say this. I'm confident there's many right now that are in a situation that if you wrote your own story, you wouldn't have, you wouldn't have written it like it is. That it's painful, that it's horrific, that you feel out of control, whatever it is. The promise that we have is something that Jesus didn't have in his darkest moment because he too went through horrific pain both physically and emotionally, crying out to the Father, but saying these words, why have you forsaken me? The answer is quite simple, so that we will never be forsaken by the Father. So throughout life, through whatever we're going through, when he says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light, though whatever you're going through in life, the only thing that could possibly make life manageable through storms, through difficult situations, is to know that God is good and to know that he is with you. And to know that whatever has flown in your path, whatever has come, has only come through the good hands of a good God. And it's there in your life because he has a plan and a purpose for it. 
our theology gets checked whenever we talk about rest. Our theology gets checked whenever we run into difficult situations in life. We like to talk about the sovereignty of God, believe in meticulous providence. Then bad things happen, and we're like, I don't know that God is sovereign. He is. Jesus is just reiterating here in verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. As I've told you, one of the things that I love is traditionally the week starts in the U.S. and, and, and in other cultures on, on Sunday. First day of the week, Sunday. Christians celebrate Sunday because of this. Jesus walks out of the grave and says, it's finished. Like, like it's done. What, what, whatever I just did on the cross and accomplished, this is the final stamp that proves that to be true. Now there is rest in my work. So here's the really cool thing. Christians work from Sunday being the first day of the week. And we work out of the rest. We work out of what Christ has done. We work out of his work. The rest of the world and society can say that we work all week to have a day off. Christianity celebrates that Sunday is the first day of the week, and then we work from this spot of Christ-finished work. We work from a day of rest. Our first day is the day that we celebrate as a Sabbath of rest. We work out of rest. We don't work to get rest. It's a picture of the gospel. When we read Psalm 46.10, and the, and the psalmist says, be still, cease, and know what? That I am God. The best thing that we can do to practice putting our faith in the gospel, one of the best, most practical things we can do is actually rest. We can actually take a day of Sabbath because what we're saying is now I understand. You keep the world going, not me. These are the things that I would say are the main source of nutrition our souls need. We need to know the good news. We need to have the faith in what Christ has done for us. We need to know that we can come. We need to know that we can take his identity, his works, and his love upon us. We need to know that he's good. But now there's also something. There's supplements. There's supplemental things that we need and we know we can do. So we don't run first to the supplements. We don't first say, let, let, let me get my hands on these. That would be the flank attack, as Chandler would say. There's things that we need head on first for our souls, for our hearts. But then there's also these things that God gives that are good, that we don't shun, we don't push away, but they are secondary to what's primary, which is the gospel. Ultimately, hear me here. What your soul needs to find true rest is to know that the God of all of creation and of the universe looks upon you and adores you with the fullness of his love. The gospel provides that. Now, I'm going to quickly run through these. these. These are the supplements that we also need. Sleep. Sleep is a good picture of the gospel. It's good practice in the gospel, okay? Sleep. Sleep tells us a lot about our theology. No one looks at a sleeping person and goes, wow, they sleep with such fervor. There's no glory in it for you, just like there's no glory in the gospel for you. So it's actually a great practice every night to be reminded, my, my body's frail, it's weak, it has limitations. And I'm going to entrust it to God to bring me safely through the night. And I'm also trusting ultimately that it is the gospel that brings me safely into the arms of God. Many of our physical problems in life can be traced to sleep. Many moral compromises come because of a lack of sleep. Sleep is what we need, and honestly, most people aren't getting enough of it, is what the studies show. 
so you can sleep more. Why? You can take Jesus' yoke, gives you permission to sleep. D.A. Carson says one of the most holy things you can do sometimes is take a nap. I take a nap almost every day. I'm not saying that to brag, because some of you guys are like, I wish I had that liberty, but, but early afternoon, I, I, I take a nap. To get stupid simple for you, I would say this, leave your phone downstairs. Oftentimes we're, 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 we're ang- so anxious because we're scrolling through our phones before we go to bed at night. Have a disciplined sleep schedule. Have a bedtime routine. These are things we do for our kids. These are things we actually need to do for us. Like I said, I mean, it's super practical. These are the supplements here. Here's something else you can do. Sometimes the burdens that you're carrying in life are just going to be too much. And when you lay at bed at night, your, your mind is soaring. Can, can I tell you guys what I do? Um, I actually have a cigar box. Don't ask me why I have a cigar box. I just happen to have one, okay? I have a cigar box. I write down on a slip of paper things that are too much that are weighing me down. And I say, Jesus, I can't carry this anymore. I'm giving it to you. And, and, and I place it in there. You can have a sheet, something like that. It really helps me when things are weighing heavily on me. Sleep. Next is Sabbath. It's not a recommendation. It's a command. Pick a day. And, and, and men, lead your families in this. Also, if your wife is a stay-at-home mom, work, whatever it is, you, you, you as a husband, please listen. You need to send her out of the house. <laughs> Give her some time. Send her out with her Bible, journal, whatever it is, but give her a break to just also go and have some quiet time with Jesus. Do something restful. I think Ronnie said that, Jason said that. I don't like hiking like Jason. I think it's awful. Maybe don't go on a hike. But, 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 but on your Sabbath, do something restful. Here's the last thing I would say. We are so stimulated by, by media and by the digital world that I would encourage you to do this. As a family, why don't you try turning your phones off on one day of the week? Your kids will hate you, especially if they're teenagers, because when you step on idols, you get bit. Turn them off and set them aside and be intentional to just have a day of fasting and resting from that. Diet and exercise. Here's the truth. Everyone can do it. People in wheelchairs still exercise. You can do it. You might be limited in what you can do. You can walk. You can do things. But when you've been sedentary all day or sitting around all day and you go to lay in bed at night, your body's like, we've been doing this all day. Also, what you put in your body has an impact on your ability to rest. Honestly, some people just need to clean up their diet and clean up their exercise. And that helps with rest. Last, I would say this. Because of what Christ has done because of what he offers, because of the rest that you can find in him. And here's what Augustine says. Your soul will never find rest until it finds its rest in Jesus. I believe that. If you're not a Christian, that might be hard to believe, but explain to me this. Why in this century alone, and, and you can look this up. I got to the letter G and there was over 100 celebrities by the letter G in the alphabet that have all committed suicide. Is it because our world is in search of finding peace outside of its creator? Jesus says, come to me and I'll give you rest. He even says in Psalm 23, which I love, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. What do you do? Just go to Jesus. He does the rest of what our souls need. Last, play. I would encourage you to play. This presses against some of our false guilt, especially moms, you got a lot of false guilt. You got to learn to play. Maybe have some art time. Maybe do something you like. Maybe roam, <laughs> maybe roam Target for a couple hours. I don't know what it is, but play. 
do something fun. If you're an educator, something like that, it might be really hard to track whatever it is that you do. And so like sometimes actually playing or doing something could be like mowing your lawn where you get to see the finished product, uh, product and go, that's nice to see something finished. But play because you can. As a dad, when I look out and see my kids playing with toys that I just got them for Christmas, I'm not like, oh, I see you over there having fun, playing with the stuff I got you. Do we think that God is looking at us, enjoying his creation, saying, oh, I see you down there having fun, enjoying my creation. I'm about to put a stop to that. We can play. We can rest because God is good. <laughs> Last, I would say this, and I'm closing out here. <clears throat> Some of you might not be able to rest because there's unrepentant sin in your life. We can get past all here for a moment. We should grieve sin. We should hate sin. But hating sin is not going to drive our obedience to sin. What is going to drive it is understanding who Christ is and what he's done for us and, and an ever-increasing love for him. But if there is sin in your life, it is going to be hard to rest. You will be restless. I'm, I'm, I'm begging you, pleading with you in here online. I would love to talk with you. We have people that would love to talk with you and pray with you. But if that's the case, if there's stuff going on, I'm just telling you, you're going to be restless. That's why James talks about confessing sin. How do you know guilt from conviction? Guilt makes you wallow in your sin and wallow in it more and more. It drives you to yourself and to your sin. Conviction drives you to the cross and to marvel in what Christ has done. If that's you and there's something going on, please come talk to me. Jesus, we thank you that what we need for rest is belief. And it's belief and faith that has come to us by your grace. Let us rest in what you've done, not in possibly at all what we could do. In Jesus' name, amen.